Yes? If you would, please turn to the book of Galatians, chapter 2. I'll be reading Galatians, chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Father, blessed is the reading of Your Holy Word to us. And I ask that You help me as a pastor, as a teacher, to unfold this text. To unfold this doctrine which is so central in the New Testament that it will be clear to the minds and the hearts of Your people. And thus, by Your Spirit, they will love what they clearly see and rejoice in this great salvation. To the glory of Jesus Christ, our only Savior, hope, joy, and High Priest before You forever. Amen. So as we work through Paul's letter to the Galatians, remember from last week, he is still talking publicly, rebuking the Apostle Peter. Peter, you live like a Gentile. You know that. And not like a Jew. How is it? Because of your fear of what might happen back in Jerusalem with Christian Jews, why is it that you started pulling away from Gentiles, which was putting pressure internally upon them to think maybe they're not good enough. Maybe they're second class Christians. Maybe they should become Jewish like you started to act again, doing the works of the law. Okay, that's where he's been, right? That's the core of his rebuke. And now he starts into his theological argument here in verses 15 in 16. In verse 15, he says, Peter, even though, that's the logic here, even though this is true about you and me, it's Jews, nevertheless, Peter, verse 16 overcame that, changed everything for us. That's his argument. The even though is verse 15. We, you, Peter, and I, Paul, we ourselves are Jews by birth, literally by nature, and not Gentile sinners. Okay, first. We're Jews by birth, Peter. In the context, why is he saying this? Don't forget the context. The whole problem with Jewish distinctives from the law of Moses, circumcision and particularly in this context, kosher dietary laws from 
Leviticus. These Jewish distinctives that Moses gave to the chosen people is his context. He says, now Peter, you and I, by nature, were born that way, we're raised that way, we always ate kosher, we were circumcised on the eighth day, we kept festivals, even though that's true of you and me, and we were not Gentile sinners. Okay. When Paul says Gentile sinners here, you've got to always let the author have his say. Mortimer Adler wrote a great book about 60 some odd years ago called How to Read a Book. And step one is to come to terms with the author. Don't let him tell you what he means. So in the context here by sinners, he doesn't mean we were not Gentile sinners in the sense that you and I, we were not sinful before God. He's not undoing what he says in Romans, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He means it in the Jewish context and mindset of first century Judaism. In other words, Peter, you and I were not sinners. Like the Gentile, that is non-circumcised, non-kosher diet keeping, non-washings and regulations. We were not that. We were clean, not unclean. That's the mindset. We weren't morally polluted like them because we kept the works of the law. That's the mindset. Remember last week, Peter's on the housetop. God's got to get him a vision. Rise, Peter, kill any of all these animals that I told you as a Jew not to eat. No way. He gets back to Jerusalem. And there are Christian Jews that are livid. You went inside of a non-Jewish house? Okay, That's the mindset. With sinners! Right? When you read the Gospels, do you ever think about, why does it say, in Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners? Well, what do you mean? There, there are people who actually are not sinners? No. It's that context. Okay, you following me now. Alright. Peter, you and I, we were kosher keeping Jews to the... T. That's how we're born. That's how we're raised. Yet, verse 16, something happened. Because, Peter, you and I know something now. Therefore, we also believed in Christ in order to be justified by faith. Not by Jewish distinctives laid out in the law of Moses. Read it. Yet we know, Peter, that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also, as non, not Gentile sinners, Jews by birth, we also, as Jews by birth have believed in Christ Jesus. Why, Peter? In order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by works of the law no one will be justified. So feel it. In the context, this is public. Therefore what, Peter? 
That's why you're a hypocrite in your sinful actions of fear and the rest of you Christian Jews. You are implying that Gentiles have to or should, if they really want to be justified, go ahead and keep the law of Moses and these Jewish distinctives to be justified. You see the argument? Okay. All right. Now, if you have a paper Bible, look down there. Starting with verse 15, the argument really, this first theological argument goes all the way to the end of chapter 2 to verse 21. I know that your translations put a chapter break, but it's not really there. Okay. Now, this paragraph from verse 15 to 21, I think, is one of the most difficult and complex paragraphs in the Bible. And so, before we try to tackle it and make sense of some strange things Paul says in it, I want to make sure that we're really crystal clear on what is the main issue at stake in Galatians and in this text. The doctrine of justification by faith alone. What is it? Because if we don't get that and we start to try to unravel that text, you're still confused about that, it's going to be really hard to understand what he's saying. So what I'm going to do is spend four weeks, four parts to this little short sub-series on justification by faith alone. First is this week where we'll mainly deal with the term to justify or justification or to be Declared just or righteous. Then, next week, the second week, we'll deal with a core aspect of the New Testament of justification, and that has to do with the imputation of Jesus' righteousness to sinners through faith. The third week, then we'll ask the question, okay, okay I, got, I think I got that, but why does it only come by faith? Why is it by faith and not by works of the law? And in the fourth week, we ask a crucial question. What is that faith that actually justifies? Okay, so this is the first week. This doctrine, if you know your Western civilization, or as a Christian, you know your, your history... There is a history whether you know it or not. And from the Western church through Rome, there was a great reforming or the great reformation in the 1500s. And one of the main reformers, Martin Luther, said this doctrine of justification by faith alone is the doctrine by which the church stands or falls. Now, I am convinced he was right. One may affirm the deity of Christ. One may affirm 
the Holy Trinity, the inerrancy of Scripture, the resurrection of Jesus, and still be under the curse of Galatians 1, 8 and 9. If you preach another gospel that I did not deliver to you, if I did it, if an angel from heaven or anyone does it, may they be accursed. And that is precisely what these Christian teachers were doing. They agree that Jesus is raised from the dead, got their doctrine, that's a central doctrine. And so is the doctrine of God. It's central. They believe in one true God. They believe in the Holy Scriptures as infallible and inerrant. And now they're saying, Paul messed up when he gave you the message of Jesus. He didn't tell you all that you need to do in order to be justified by faith. This is huge. And now also let me say this, that the doctrine of justification by faith is really practical for real Christians. I mean every day practical. If you get it and you build your life upon it, then you'll become unshakable in the face of death, fear, sickness, setbacks, depression, your own remaining besetting sins and sinfulness and thoughts and 10,000 other crises in life. Oh, it's so practical. But if you have an attitude, just give me Jesus. Just tell me Jesus loves me and I love Him and we're all good. It's all I need. I don't know if I want to understand the doctrine of justification by faith. That takes work and thinking. If you think that way, then you should not be surprised if there is a lot of fear and uncertainty and confusion which will leave you wide open to all kinds of weird, strange, and non-biblical doctrines that will lead you astray. Sinclair Ferguson, he's alive today, just so you know he's not an old Puritan or something, theologian, writes, probably more trouble is caused in the Christian life by an inadequate or mistaken view of the doctrine of justification by faith alone. When the child of God loses his sense of peace with God, finds his concern for others dried up, or generally finds his sense of the sheer goodness and grace of God diminished, it is from this fountain that he has ceased to drink. And conversely, if we can gain a solid grounding here, we have the foundation for a life of peace and joy. So Christians ought to understand, ought to know, and ought to love the doctrine of justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, like they know their own 
name. Because through it, prayerfully in it, in the daily battle of the Christian life, will draw you closer and go deeper with your Savior. This doctrine, when we use the word, the Bible word, the New Testament word, justify, righteousness of Christ, or justification, this is the core of Christianity. This is the core of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And it has been attacked since the moment Jesus ascended. And it will forever constantly be attacked within the church. It has been for 2,000 years. No less today. You know, the last time years ago when I, when I did a series on justification, I had numbers of quotes, but I'm not even going to do it today. But just within evangelicalism, how the core of this doctrine is attacked, it would blow your mind. So, what I want you to do, turn away from Galatians at the moment and turn to Romans chapter 3. I'm going to read Romans 3, verses 21 to 26. Paul writes, But now, the righteousness... Ding, ding, ding. Key word here. The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. So, it was to show God's righteousness at the present time, so that He, God, might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Hmm. So notice first at the end of verse 22, there is no distinction now, you know, if you know the book of Romans and what Paul has said up to that point, he is very clear what he means there. Whether you are a Jew or a Gentile, that's all the persons in the world. There's no distinction when it comes to being made right with God through Jesus Christ. Period. Because all of them all kosher-keeping, circumcised, religiously observant Jews or non-Jews, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. His point is, the need for God to act and to justify that need is universal. 
Jew and Gentile. Whether you were raised a pagan or an observant Jew, a Muslim or a Hindu, a Pentecostal or a Baptist or a Presbyterian or a Roman Catholic or whether you are raised up in this church, every one of us is guilty. Born into sin and we have all willingly exchanged the glory of the one true, beautiful, and all-desirable God for the creature, for images. We have all desecrated in our willful sinfulness the glory of God. That's what 123 of Romans says. Sin at its core is a rejection of God, of His beauty, His glory, His goodness to be our eternal happiness. It is saying, no thank you, I don't trust that you're really out for me. I will go over here to find it. At its core, all sin is spitting in God's face. By refusing to trust Him, refusing to treasure Him as the eternal fountain of real happiness that He actually is. Sin, all of it, is always first something between you and God before it is between you and another human whom you also sin against. At its core, it has to do with our Creator and our refusing to trust Him and to drink from the fountain of His eternal joy. And Paul says, Jew or Gentile, you and I, Peter, we were Jews by nature and not Gentiles, yet we woke up to this reality. So that's a big problem. It's a huge problem. So how are we, therefore, if that's true, Romans 3.23, how are we to be made right with God again? And to be saved, therefore, from the consequences of our sin? How can we have any hope of acceptance by God when we have so profoundly profaned Him as unworthy. You are not so valuable. How do we get made right? The answer is the next verse. Verse 24. The answer is God acts. And that's how. He acts. He does a verb. He justifies. It's all God. It's not us. Verse 24. For all have sinned and fallen short 
the glory of God and, and he's referring now to believers here as he writes to Rome, and now we are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Just turn Paul's logic around. He sent His Son and He paid the price to redeem, purchase sinners for Himself. And then He says, that redemption then is offered as a gift. Not as a paycheck that you earn. A gift. That gift is God's grace. And what is the gift as you open it? Are justified. We are justified. If you know any of your grammar, that's a passive voice. It means we didn't do it. We have been acted upon. If you have been justified by saving faith that you have, then it is because God acted upon you. He does it through a means. And we're going to get there in a couple of weeks. Called faith. But let me just pause now for ten minutes, whatever. Think about this term. I don't, want, I don't want to assume anything about the term justified or justification. Another family term, righteous. Okay. There's a family of terms that you see in your English Bible there, which are to justify, or to make righteous, or righteous, or justification, or righteousness. They're all the same family of terms. Now, listen to in Greek. In Greek, the adjective dikaios means righteous. The noun is dikaiosune. The verb is dikaio. Okay, you feel it? It's all from the same root. Whether you've got a noun, the adjective, or the verb. So now I just want you to try your best to hit yourself in the head if you need to. Is I'm going to read Bible, New Testament, Paul. And I want you to feel how often the term is used when Paul's talking about the centrality of the gospel in its different forms. In Romans 1.17, Paul writes, For in the gospel, the Here it is. The righteousness. Dekaiosune. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written. But the righteous, there's the adjective, the righteous used as a noun, the righteous man shall live by faith. Romans 4, 2-6. For if Abraham was justified, there is the verb, If Abraham was justified or declared righteous by works, then he has something to boast about before God, but but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned or imputed to him as 
Righteousness. Dekaiosune. Now to the one who works, his wage is not reckoned as grace, but as what is earned or due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in Him who justifies the ungodly, I qualify, His faith is reckoned as righteousness. Dekaiosune. Just as David also speaks of the blessing upon the man to whom God reckons righteousness apart from works. In Romans 5.1, Paul says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 5, verses 8-9 to of Romans, But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. Romans 5.17 For if by the transgression of the one, that's Adam, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness, they will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. At the end of Galatians 2, Paul will conclude it this way, I do not nullify the grace of God because if righteousness comes through or by the law, then Christ died needlessly. And in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he writes, God made Christ Jesus who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Now do you think you can feel why Paul says in verses 15 and 16 of Galatians 2, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also, Peter, have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. So, those terms that, in those contexts that I read to you from Paul's epistles, the terms righteousness or justification or to justify, which was, it means to declare righteous, they are legal terms. Just want to just sit. That's what they are. Think about a court.
courtroom. These terms are used in the context of God's courtroom. How is that defendant related to the law of the state of California? Guilty? Condemned? Or justified? You're righteous before the law. That's what these terms are. They're legal terms. When the court pronounces its verdict, what is it doing? It is declaring how the accused stands before the law of the state of California. That's what it's doing. Guilty, Your Honor. You are condemned in relation to this law that you have been found guilty on. And the punishment that is fitting the crime will come. You are condemned. That's a declaration. You are not guilty. You are acquitted. To say it with Paul's words, you have been before this court justified. Declared righteous. And therefore, in the New Testament here, to justify, or we have been justified, etc., or the word justification does not mean to make the person righteous. When the judge declares acquitted, or justified, or righteous before this court, free to go, He's not doing anything inside that defendant. He's making a declaration about the defendant. The word means to declare righteous when it's a verb. We are justified. God has declared us righteous before His law. This is the Gospel. Or guilty means you stand condemned. It's a declaration about that person. Just, just, I want you to listen to the, same, the verb, the kai'a'o, used in Luke 7.29 for a second. When they heard all of this, all the people justified God. Get it? They didn't... God was like a sinner and we changed God into a better being. Now He's justified. They meant we declare God is righteous. It's a declaration of the people about God. In Romans 8, 33-34, Paul contrasts God's declaration against the declaration of condemnation. When he writes, and think courtroom here, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. It's God who declares, is the judge, righteous. 
Who is the one who declares you're condemned? Well, if anyone tries, they're wrong. Because the judge has spoken. It is a legal term. To be justified by God, to be righteous before God, or we can put it this way, justification. He, he was raised for our justification. Paul writes, This is the core central doctrine of the Gospel. Justification. By faith. Alone. It does not refer to an act of God that makes us righteously sinless. Now, it's not what it is referring to. Justification is not something that happens in us. It's something that happens outside of us in the courtroom of God. It's not done in us. It's done on behalf of us. It's not a change of our nature or of our state of being, but it's a change of our standing before the courtroom who is God. So if you're still there in Romans 3, in verse 22, when Paul writes, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, he means God's righteousness is counted as ours through our faith in Christ. God's act of justifying us in Jesus is His declaration that we, though still sinners, we are righteous in His sight. It is a legal declaration that His eternal Son became a human being and lived in perfect human righteousness before Him where Adam didn't as our substitute. And went to the cross and there God imputed our sins to Him and He poured out the fullness of His just wrath against Jesus our substitute. And then, the Gospel goes out and God grabs hold of those persons and puts them into His Son and declares, You are absolutely righteous before Me. Not your actions or your thoughts. You're standing now and forever. Amen. There you go. Someone got it. So let me be clear now, having said that for a moment, little parenthesis. New birth is an act of God by the Holy Spirit that is done internally in us. It is His, His cutting away and placing new life inside of us. Justification is a judgment of God 
concerning us. Boy, distinctions are so huge in order to understand the difference between justification and sanctification. See, the difference between, for instance, new birth, oh, God does an internal work. Absolutely. And if He's never done that internal work, you have never had saving faith and you thus are not justified before Him. But it's the difference between a surgeon and a judge. A surgeon, he comes, we go out, and they cut us open and give us a heart transplant. That's done in us. It's a change in our very being. Absolutely, that is new birth. God does that act. But justification is not a surgeon. It is the judge who gives the verdict forever, once and for all, regarding our standing before the judgment bar of God. New birth and ongoing pursuing of holiness called sanctification in the New Testament. They're God's work of changing, molding our character, our actions, bearing the fruit of the Spirit, absolutely. But justification is not that. It is God declaring once and for all that we are just. We are forgiven. We are flawlessly righteous with not the righteousness of our own progress and sanctification, but with the righteousness of that baby that was born from Mary. Our substitute. I know I repeated myself 103 times and I did it purposefully. So don't tell me later that I did. I did it on purpose. This justification is a gift by His grace. You cannot work for it. You cannot earn it. You cannot pay for it. Look at verse 24, Romans 3. And we are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It's free. There is no payment there is no moral betterment of your life. There is no religiosity. There are no works of the law that you can do that will therefore then bring about God's act of justifying you. It is His grace. That's what he says, by grace. Paul uses that word, charis, Grace 95 times in his writing. What is he talking about? One of the, do you want to get really clear? Just look over at chapter 4 of Romans, verse 4. Listen to what he said. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted according to... I'm going to read it literally from the original. They are His wages are not counted according to grace, but according to wages 
or debt. See, if you work for someone, you don't get grace. You get wages. You get a paycheck that you earned. And if they said, you know what, I feel really, really giving this week, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show grace upon you and give you a paycheck, you would be offended. What are you talking about? You owe me that. Okay, That's what work is. You put the employer into your debt. And this is exactly why trying to work for God is so sinful. It turns everything upside down. And then when you say, we believe in Jesus like these guys were doing, and you go preach now, add works. Faith's good. Add works to it. Or you won't get the paycheck. This is why And its core destroys the gospel of God's grace. God cannot, and I mean that word very deliberately, God cannot, by definition, and He will not be put in anyone's debt. And that is why Paul is so adamant in our text in Galatians 2. Peter, you know this! How did you give in to such fear and it implied something you know is non-gospel? We had all kinds of badges that said, look at us, we're not Gentile sinners. We do everything we need to do. But Peter, you and I, by God's mercy, have been awakened to the Gospel of Jesus Christ and therefore we forsook all that and we placed our faith in Christ alone in order to be declared righteous before God. Justification for sinners took the death of God's eternal Son becoming one of us. Therefore, no one, Jew or Gentile, can work for God's grace. To think that if I obey this law, if I obey these ordinances or this religious rule, then that will result in the grace of God viewing me as acceptable. Justified. That is to not understand the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And if a person goes further than that and actually believes that their works, their actions, their moral improvement, their religiosity will bring about their right standing with God, then they are outside the saving grace of Jesus Christ presently. Now here's one last question on this first sermon on justification. How in the world could God declare sinners righteous? We don't pay for it. We don't work for it. We're going to see that you can only receive the grace called this gift and the hands that He gives are called faith. 
Got to have hands of faith that do reach out and grab it. But having said that, though, what's the basis of God saying, as the judge, declaration, Paul, the guy who persecuted my church, is justified before me, made righteous before me, or declared, ooh, I blew it, scratch, declared righteous before me. Paul's still waiting the resurrection. Okay. On what basis? The answer is there in Romans 3, the last phrase of verse 24. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That's how He does it. Redemption means there was a deliverance at a price. There was a freedom brought, a release brought by a payment. And, and Jesus said in, in Mark 10.45, I have come not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom. Same word here is redemption. It's to give my life as a ransom. So, the cross of Jesus is the foundation of our justification, of our being declared not guilty. What happened at the cross that God can therefore do that? Read on verse 25 to 26 of Romans 3. The redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation Hang on to that word for a moment. As a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins and He looked as if He were unjust. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The redemption is that He put His own Son on a cross. He sacrificed Him pictured in the Old Covenant temple, tabernacle, sacrificial system. He put Him forward as the propitiation. God propitiated His justice in wrath. In other words, He was satisfied where white, hot, holy wrath was burning He poured it all out on Jesus. And thus He was propitiated. Paid. In full. Now I'm going to go get them throughout human history. I'm going to bring the Gospel to them. 
and I will grab every one of the sheep I promised my son. And he goes, and he gets them. How can he do it? Because of Jesus, our substitute. God, and we'll deal with this word next week, not infused into Jesus, not as a surgeon, but as a judge, imputed our sins to Him. And therefore God is just in justifying or declaring righteous sinners. Why? Because He did not just sweep sin under the rug. We would want a judge in the state of California dealt with. Just says, you know what? I woke up happy today, and I know the guy was by the jury, you know, convicted of first degree murder. But you know what? I'm going to be really gracious today and let him go. God never does that. His justice on behalf of all who are in Christ was satisfied forever. Jesus' substitutionary, penal atonement is the foundation of our justification. And this is precisely why it is a gift by His grace. It's all a work of Christ. Jesus' work is the foundation plus nothing. It's grace as a gift. And you either receive the gift with the hands of faith, or you remain declared justly condemned. This is why Paul, as the Jew of Jews, Hebrew of Hebrews, Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, is to law as a Pharisee, is to zeal. Oh boy, was I zealous as a persecutor of the church as to the righteousness found in my law keeping. This was his mindset. Blameless. And then he writes later to the Philippians. I want to be found in Christ. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. But that righteousness which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God It depends on faith. We have three more weeks looking at the contours of this great central gospel doctrine. But as I close, I have two applications for take-home. First, If you don't know that you 
are in Christ, come to Christ. You can, you can, you can hear it this way, because this is what I would say to believers. As you contemplate unbelievers, loved ones, family members, friends, strangers that you would meet, evangelism, they need to hear the Gospel. No, the Gospel, Gospel. So tell them, do you want the judge of the universe to pardon you? To release you from what you deserve and release you into His everlasting joy? Then let me tell you the story. And you tell them the story of Jesus. And then you say, Come. Come to Jesus as a helpless, desperate, with nothing in your hands but brokenness and a contrite heart. And He will gladly declare you righteous. So in the telling, don't avoid the core of the Gospel. God knows what He's doing. He doesn't need our help as modern Christians on strategies and way that you'll, what you'll say or not say or I'll leave this part out of the Bible because I don't know if they want to hear that Word, He doesn't need our help. Don't change the gospel that sounds like a gospel to many, but it's no gospel like. Are you lonely? Well, then Jesus is the answer. Come to Him. You, you can find your rest and not be lonely. But if you, that's all you're saying, it's no gospel. You want to get your life all fixed up? Jesus would love that too. So come up here and say a prayer and ask Him in your heart. And he's the answer. Is your marriage in almost ready to go over the cliff? Well, Jesus came to save your marriage. That's not the Gospel. You have to get over to people who are on the conveyor belt towards eternity. Calmly, in all different kinds of contexts. You don't do it like standing in a pulpit if you're sitting there talking. You talk. But you've got to get over to them. that They need to come to grips that there is a holy God who is perfectly just. And that is very bad news for sinners. They need to come to the grips with how deeply sinful they are. And then you tell them the good news. God sent His Son. And in Jesus, He received the justice you deserved if you would come to Him. He poured it out fully and now freely offers you pardon and much more forever than that. See, every person 
They know that if there is a creator, they are in trouble. They know this deep down. Atheists know this. That's why they're atheists. So you have to be afraid to use Bible. You can trust God with it. And let God do His work. Finally, for us Christians, stand on this great doctrine of justification by faith alone. Use it daily in your battle. Your fight of faith. Your rest. Your prayer life. Your needing communion in the Holy Spirit working in power and shutting off the, the voices of the accuser that tries to confuse you about you if you're in Christ. So, in other words, when you lay your head down to rest, at night and you feel guilty because you have sinned against your spouse and treated her or him roughly or against your kids or your neighbor or your anger keeps getting the best of you or memories of past sins or tormented by sexual lustful thoughts or Remember even way back years ago, even as a Christian, you screwed your life up sexually. And, and the guilt just, just comes upon you in accusation after accusation. You're so unworthy. Oh, you need to understand the Gospel of justification by faith alone. So there on the bed, you cast yourself upon Christ before the judge of the universe and you bank on the truth that before the courtroom of heaven I now, right now, and will then at my death and then future to that, the resurrection of the dead at the great white throne stand not only acquitted but as perfectly righteous as Jesus Christ from Nazareth because His righteousness is my righteousness and then go to sleep. Wake up in the morning. Get your Bible out again before you start your day. This is why after Paul laying out justification by faith alone comes to this great verse in Romans 8, 1 as I close. There is therefore... Right now, no condemnation, no declaration of condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Oh, what a gospel. Oh, Father, thank You. Thank You for the privilege and the joy of not only being found in Your Son and found by You, but that this morning I got to preach teach and unfold this great, glorious Gospel. Oh, Father, make it go deep into the minds, the intellect, the affections and the heart of us, Your people, that we would have a foundation for life 
And the rest of the time that You have given each of us on this planet a deep foundation that goes down a mile and makes us sturdy as a Gospel witness and lovers of one another because of the love with which You have first loved us in Your Son. Amen.